Okay, so Psalm 16 can be found on page 491 in the Black Bibles you would have received as you came in tonight. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to Yahweh, you are my Lord, I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another god for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my conscience instructs me. I keep the Lord in mind always. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. So Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptised, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptised, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favour with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And it'd be great if you can keep that open. Don't you think if you were there on that day when this speech was made, I reckon the atmosphere would have just been electric, right? Especially when, uh, when Peter got to his climax and his conclusion in verse 36 there. Is there verse 36? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It's a great climax. My question for tonight is, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah? Some of you here might be thinking, no, no, not at all. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe that. Great. I'm glad you're here. Some of us are thinking, yeah, uh, I do believe it. But you know what? I sometimes doubt. Sometimes doubts crop up in, in my mind and I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure he's that significant. Sometimes these words, Lord, Messiah, just seem a little bit empty to me. I look at the other people in my life. They don't treat Jesus as Lord and Messiah. They get on all right. A few years back, a guy called Michael Hart wrote a book called The 100, a ranking of the most influential persons in history. Uh, do you know who number one was? Muhammad. Because when you look at his life, he was supremely successful in all things religious and secular. And sometimes I think we feel that. Jesus doesn't quite seem to be like that. And you know, one of the other reasons Michael Hart put Muhammad number one is because you look at his followers and you can see by looking at them that Allah and Muhammad are very important. Our lives sometimes don't quite seem so radical. We seem quite kind of normal. Now, I know there's people here who... Um, really want to live radically for Jesus, really want to. They want to speak boldly for him and be generous and sacrificial. Uh, that's me, I'm there too. And yet something kind of holds us back. I wonder if part of it might be, we doubt verse 36, that Jesus really is the Lord and Messiah of all. Well, I hope that as we leave this evening, we'd have more certainty about exactly that, who Jesus really is. And not just certainty so that we might follow him more closely, though that's fantastic, but so that we might have joy. Because brothers and sisters, our Jesus, who we've just been singing to, is the Lord of all. That is great news. 
But let's, uh, let's take a wind back a bit and set the scene for what's going on in chapter 2 here. Uh, it's Pentecost. What has happened is that, that Jesus has, has re- been risen and he's told his followers to go and tell everyone about him. But not quite yet. Wait for the Spirit to come. And so they wait. And then on this great day of Pentecost, the Spirit arrives. And it's a crazy day. You might remember from last week. There's kind of flames around the place and this great sound of this rushing wind. And then the, the apostles start speaking strange, strange languages. And everyone who can see this going on is thinking, what's going on? These guys are mad. And so Peter stands up and tries to explain. And he says, what you're seeing are the signs that the Spirit has come. And if the Spirit has come, then it's the last days. God's time of punishment is over, and the time of forgiveness and salvation has arrived, so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if Peter stopped there in his speech, I think the people listening would have had a few questions. They might be thinking to themselves, right, so the day of salvation's here. Presumably that means, you know, the kingdom has come, the king is here. I don't see a king. Where's the Messiah? They might also have been saying, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What do you think we do every Sabbath when we get together and pray? We're we're calling out on the name of the Lord. Or are we doing it wrong? What are you talking about? And so Peter goes on in his speech and he wants to make uh, one basic point. He wants to prove to them that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the promised king. And that he is that in fulfillment of all scripture and that he is the Lord of all. So that's what we're going to look at for the next little while, verses 29 to 35, the evidence for why Jesus is Messiah and Lord. So I hope you've got that open there at verse uh, 29 and following. Uh, But before we can make sense of this, we're going to just wind back the clock a little bit to set the scene for this idea of fulfillment of where the Messiah fits in. Um, So if you know anything about the Old Testament, you'll know that the golden era uh, of Israel's history is when David is on the throne. King David. When he's king, it's all good. It's fantastic. He is a chosen king. He's like a Messiah. But when he was at the height of his power, God made an incredible promise to him. God said, I'm going to set one of your children on the throne forever. Now, that might sound a little bit kind of strange to you. How could a king be on the throne forever? Um, Or that might sound very familiar to you and you've forgotten that it is very strange that a king would reign forever. But that was the great hope of God's people, that a king would come who would reign forever, David's great son, and he would be known as the Messiah. Now, I think um, if I met David all those years ago, uh, I probably wouldn't have liked him very much. Oh, I would have been jealous of him. Um, he's, he's one of these guys that most people are jealous of. I have a friend named Mike who's exactly the same because David uh, was good at everything. You know those people? Uh, he, was, he was brave and athletic and good-looking, uh, very popular, very successful. And, and the thing I hate most, and it's the same in my friend Mike, I don't really hate it, but you know what I mean? He's even good at music. Do you know what I mean? He's good at everything. 
Uh, David wrote a lot of songs, and we have some of them recorded here, psalms. That's like what David read a little while ago. So would you look with me at verse 25? And we have the beginning of one of these uh, psalms, songs. For David says of him, that is of Jesus. So right here we've got a hint that this is not just about David, this song. It's about Jesus. Let's read on. I saw the Lord ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. Because you will not leave me in Hades, the place of the dead, or allow your Holy One to see decay. You've revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Now, that's kind of true of David. God kept him safe. However, read on. Peter says, brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He's dead. Buried. You see, he, said, he did see decay. He went to Hades, if you will. He's dead. So that's not entirely true of him. Who is it true of? Well, we read on. From verse 30. Since David was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on the throne. That's what we just talked about, this expectation of the Messiah. Seeing that in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. That's what his psalm is all about. It's about the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. And so Peter joins the dots for us. Verse 32, God has resurrected this Jesus. He's the one the psalm's about. This Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king of the whole world that has been expected for generations, for centuries. It's Jesus. How can we be sure? Well, the resurrection. The resurrection, friends, is the foundation for our hope and faith. I was, um, I was walking to work uh, yesterday morning down beside the train line, and I was praying the Lord's Prayer, and I got to the bit about, um, you know, your kingdom may come kind of thing. And I'm quite a concrete thinker, so in my brain I was thinking, what's it going to look like? when Jesus returns, and, and this, is what, this often happens to me, my brain sort of goes, and I, I can't picture it. It just seems a bit ridiculous to me. And so the next thing my brain jumps to is, well, maybe the whole thing is ridiculous. The whole Jesus thing. This all happens in, in an instant in my brain. And I have to kind of grab a hold of myself and say, Dan, did Jesus rise again? And I sometimes have to ask, just make sure. Did he? Did he rise again? Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Right, well, get on with it. Because, friends, the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. Did he rise? Yes? He's the Messiah. Now, friends, you might be here and you're not particularly interested in Jewish categories like messiahs. But let me say this. If he rose, something. You know what I mean? He's someone. Uh, I imagine um, that when you're talking with your friends who don't yet trust in Jesus, they don't talk about resurrection much. Mine don't. Because if it's true, something, there's significance here. In fact, the new atheists, the kind of Richard Dawkins type people, they don't like talking about this kind of thing either. Um, they kind of, kind of run away from it. 
So uh, uh, John Lennox, who kind of debates these sorts of guys quite regularly, writes this. I know of no serious attempt by any of the new atheists, and he's engaged with a lot of them, to engage with the evidence for the resurrection. They kind of run, run away and start saying stupid things, like, like this. Dawkins says, in response to the whole idea of resurrection, it is even possible to mount a serious, though not widely supported, historical case that Jesus never lived at all, as has been done by, amongst others, Professor G.A. Wells of London University. Well, that's highbrow, isn't it? Who is Professor G.A. Wells? A professor of German. Seriously? Yeah, German. Amongst others, G.A. Wells. Who are the others? High school students? I, I don't know, monkeys? Do you, who, no one thinks this. But in response to the idea of resurrection, run away. Or Christopher Hitchens, in response to the idea of resurrection. You can't trust the Bible. Who does he cite as, as an authority on the historicity of the Bible? H.L. Mencken, a journalist who never went to uni. That's cited in his book. Now, there's nothing wrong with not going to uni, but you've got to check who you're quoting, right? My brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be surprised. Because if the resurrection is for real, Jesus is the King, the Messiah. And we're not. And they're not. And that's scary. And I say, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus is King, the Messiah. Well, that's the first bit, but now Peter moves on. He wants to say more. So look with me at verse 33. Therefore, since he, Jesus, has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Um, have you ever seen in one of those um, kind of old or movies that's kind of set somewhere a long time ago uh, where the king has, has gone into this battle and he's defeated the foreign nation and he comes back into his capital city victorious to this great parade, you know, that sort of thing, and people are throwing the rose petals or whatever it is, and, and he's in his chariot kind of coming along and he throws out gifts to the people. Do you know this kind of thing? He's throwing out spices from India, which he's just conquered, and and throwing out gold from Africa, which is just conquered, and coconuts from Barbados, or whatever it is. You know, this sort of thing. Uh, and the idea is, he shares the victory with his people. We are victorious. I share my victory with you. That's the spirit. King Jesus has won a great victory. And in the spirit, he is pouring out that victory on us. He's sharing the victory with us. Our world, you see, was, was under the control of Satan. Um, we, we were living under the fear of death like a cloak. Um, we, our hearts and minds were trapped in sin, hopeless, powerless, futureless. And the big thing, we were cut off from God. And then comes Jesus, and he dethrones Satan. He slashes through sin at his death at the cross. He crushes the fear of death in his resurrection. And he gives us hope and future and power and purpose. 
And the big thing, he reconnects us with God. Forgiven. Loved. And we share in that victory as he pours out his spirit on us. We become part of it. We receive his spirit. We're receiving the spirit of the Lord of all. The victorious king. Now, David wrote a song about that as well. About victory. Um, Obviously, he was a victorious kind of guy. He won a lot of wars. um, But not quite like Jesus. Look with me from verse 34. David won a lot of victories, but it was not David who ascended into the heavens, who's ascended to the, to the right hand of the Father. It was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord. God the Father, the Lord declared to my Lord Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is true of Jesus. He is the one who has conquered all powers, the whole world, and all his enemies are his footstool now. He is the Lord of all, and he is the Lord of you and I. So friends, I want to ask at this point, do you have doubts that Jesus is Lord and Messiah? Are you perhaps sometimes ashamed to speak the name of Jesus? Do you find it hard to set him apart as Lord of your life and live radically for him? Are there doubts? Let me ask you these two questions. Did he rise from the dead? This is what it comes down to. Did he rise from the dead? He's the Messiah. Has he poured out his spirit? He's the Lord of all. Know for certain. That Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. That's not quite the quote though, is it? That's not quite verse 36. I didn't quite finish it completely. Know with certainty that this Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Messiah and Lord. I want to move on now, after this kind of evidence thing, to talk about how we ought to respond to Jesus being Lord and Messiah. Um, And the answer is repentance and church. So let's move on, uh, because he's, Peter has something to say to the people who are listening. I wonder, have you ever had this experience, uh, like I have far too many times, um, when someone pulls you up for making a mistake, and you say, but you told me to do that. You, you told me to do that. And they say, no, I didn't. Said, no, yeah, you told me to do that. And then they pull out an email, and they go, look, I told you. You, you knew. And they go, oh, exposed. I'm sorry. Or you're in the line kind of waiting for a coffee with a colleague and you're kind of complaining about work and then this other guy comes up and he goes, yeah, I work there too. And he goes, oh, isn't it terrible? The decisions they're making from the top and I don't know who they employ there. And they say, sorry, I shouldn't introduce myself. I'm the CEO. And you're there, oh, exposed. Grovel, grovel, grovel. Or you're Rolf Harris and you're insisting on your innocence until witness after witness after witness puts it well beyond doubt. What do you say? You're way beyond sorry, aren't you? Well, friends, that might give us a little bit of a taste, the smallest bit of a taste of what's going on here. Look at verse 22 with me. Peter is speaking to Israelites in Jerusalem, uh, exactly where Jesus was killed, and he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. 
This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God. How did God point him out? With miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. No excuses. You knew who he was. What did you do? Well, verse 23, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and and foreknowledge, God was completely in control, but you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. That's how you treated him, though you knew who he was. How did God treat him? Well, the next verse, God raised him up. God quite disagreed with what you did in killing him, raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Exposed. And so verse 36 is the conclusion. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It's a bad place to be. I hope you're not there. How do you treat Jesus? You just ignore him, maybe? I don't know. I haven't done anything to Jesus. What are you talking about? I haven't done anything to Jesus. You ignore the Lord of all? I hope not. Is he just kind of a tack on to your life? I do my rest of my life and a bit of Jesus on the side. The Lord of all is a tack on? I hope not. Because, friends, when the Lord Jesus is revealed as being the king of all, which he will be one day, you don't want to have regrets. You don't want to be groveling. Know with certainty that this Jesus, whom you just ignored, whom you thought was just not really that significant, know with certainty that this Jesus... God has made him Lord and Messiah. We can well imagine the kind of the tone of the place when, when Peter was speaking this. Verse 37. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? And Peter responded, Nothing. It's too late. You stuffed it. You're going to cop it. Would that be fair? I reckon that's fair, yeah. But our God is so gracious, friends. He is so kind. Listen to what he does say instead. Repent, turn around, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to the very people who strung him up on the cross, the promise is, you can be forgiven. Friends, no matter what you've done and how you've treated Jesus, the offer is still there. You can be forgiven. Have your sin washed away. You can partake in Jesus' victory over death and sin and Satan. You can receive the Spirit and share in his victory. What a joy. What grace. But you must repent. Change your attitude towards Jesus. Change from ignoring him and treating him as a nothing and make him your Lord. The language used here is be baptized in the name of Jesus. 
Uh, some of us uh, from church here were at a baptism this morning of young Judah Parks, who some of you remember. Um, what was going on there? Baptism is about, amongst other things, um, identifying ourselves as belonging to Jesus. Sort of being submerged into Jesus and making yourself a, a Jesus person. I identify with Jesus. What is his? I want to be mine. And I want to notice with you how the people responded. They said, what must we do? They heard they ought, to be, they ought to repent and be baptized, and they did. And what happened? Read with me from verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. They did church. Isn't that interesting? We often think you kind of become a Christian and then you just carry on with life, with your little relationship with God. But no, they, but they do church. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They want to get to know Jesus better and how to follow him. But they also kind of devote themselves to the fellowship. They don't just do church for the you know, one formal hour a week. They devote themselves to relationships, to hospitality, Read on with me from verse 44. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common, like, like a family. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. When they acknowledged that Jesus was Lord and Messiah and became Jesus' people, it changed everything. It changed how they spent their, their money, their, their time, who they hang out with, the sacrifices they'd make. And not just individually, but they did it together as a church. I see that happening here. I see people not taking up that possible job so that they can be at church here. They value the church family here. I see Peter and Sue who've just moved back from a big house in Foster because they want to serve here at church. I see many of us giving financially in a sacrificial kind of way. I see people uh, giving their time just to be with each other because these are your brothers and sisters and that's how we live. I see people giving their time and energy to serve each other here, not just because they're on rosters, but because they're Messiah people, they're Jesus people. They want to serve the Lord and so they serve each other. Brothers and sisters, I do hope you see yourself not just as a churchgoer. I do hope you see that Jesus is Messiah and Lord of all, and you are his person. I do hope that is fundamental to who you are, to your identity. You might be here, though, and you have doubts. You're not a Christian yet. Well, you are, but you do have doubts. Let me just come back to where Peter lands, to, to, to what he makes his foundation. Did he rise? Yeah, did Jesus rise? He's the Messiah. Take your stand on that. Is the king growing his kingdom? Absolutely. Verse 41, 3,000 people. He's still doing it today. Has he poured out his spirit? 
Is he changing people and bringing them back from death to life? Do you see it in the church? Yes, yes, he is the Lord. He's the one who brings life. Well, so let me conclude this way. Know for certain, know for sure that this Jesus who was crucified, God has made him Lord and Messiah. I do hope he is your Lord and Messiah. Would you pray with me? Father, I do pray, please, that you would take these words that we've read and heard and do more with them than we can do. Please bring us under deep conviction of the reality that Jesus, the one who died and didn't look all that impressive, is indeed the Lord and the Messiah. Father, may we be not just churchgoers, but Jesus people. May that define us. May we live lives that show that he indeed is Lord. Amen.